Well, as uh, this morning, as we continue our series, you know, we, as we've been going through Galatians, we've been talking a lot about the law. I mean, it's been the law, the law, the law, and, uh, you know, all the things that the Pharisees are doing that shouldn't be doing, and all those, you know, kind of, it's been kind of negative. So I thought I would take two weeks and talk about uh, um, uh, the Beatitudes a little bit and maybe some of the expectations that Jesus has for us. Of course, Paul's going to get into uh, ways of living and the, and the reason why we want to live for God. Uh, but now uh, we're going to uh, go, jump to the Beatitudes just for two, two weeks to see what Jesus has to say about us living as Christians. So we're going to be in Matthew 5, 1 through 5 this morning. And it starts out and it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on, he said, Blessed those who, who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see, see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are, her, uh, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those, uh, blessed are you who, who when, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely accuse you, and say all kinds of evil things, uh, you know, because of you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they per persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you study through Matthew, you might know that Jesus has is, is, is been in this northern region of Israel. He was in Nazareth at one point where he was rejected by his hometown. He went up to Capernaum to the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, this beautiful area, and he settled there. And then he went from village to village preaching the gospel, preaching repentance, and healing people. No one had ever really seen a man like Jesus, somebody who, who had the authority, but the love and the grace and the mercy and the, and the righteousness. And he was just absolutely amazing. People were traveling for miles and miles just to see him, bringing their relatives, dragging people along for Jesus to heal them. They were coming from all over Israel in that area, and, and even really further than that. Matthew tells us they were coming from the Decapolis. Uh, uh, the, the Decapolis, uh, Deca means ten, and uh, polos is, it means city. So they were coming from the ten cities of the east of the Jordan River. From Damascus to, you know, all the way up in the north, all the way to, to south where Philadelphia was. And, you know, many of these cities look like Roman cities, not really Jewish city, uh, cities. And Matthew has kind of been telling us that Jesus, you know, early on, Jesus is already reaching outside the border of Israel to be, there, to be other people's Messiah too, that it wasn't just a Jewish thing. This was something Matthew was trying to communicate to the Jews, hoping that they would really kind of catch on. Matthew's writings are, are pointed to the Jews. And he started out with, this, you know, with the wise men who, who actually were not Jewish, of all things. You know? So now he's, 
Now he's saying people are coming from outside of Israel and Jesus is healing them also. He's taking care of them also. He's blessing them uh, the same way he's blessing the Jews. He's teaching them. And Matthew is telling the Jews what we already know. Jesus is for everyone, all nationalities. Because the Jews were thinking the Messiah was coming to rescue only them. They were the chosen people. Does this sound familiar from Galatians? Crowds are showing up and and a lot of them are, are physically ill. And they bring them to Jesus, and he just heals them. What a beautiful sight that had to be. Now, in chapter 5, Jesus returns to Galilee, and he goes up to the hillside. Now, when he sees all, the, you know, he sees all these crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and he sat down. The scriptures say his disciples came to him, and he begins to teach them, saying, and you've got to picture this area. I mean, Matthew says that Jesus saw the crowds. This is important. Because the context of the whole story has to do with the crowds. Jesus has his eye on the crowds. It's the same way today. He has the eye on the multitude of people. When people are seeking him and seeking answers, he is looking out for them. Jesus is really seeking those who are seeking him. He's looking for the sick, the needy, those that don't, you know, uh, don't come for, for the, you know, they come because they need Jesus. But Jesus knows that it's, if he just heals them and they go on the way, well, you know, that's a great process, but they never grow. They don't ever understand. They're not going to develop in any type of strength or understanding. And Jesus knows that these people need more than just physical healing. You know, we're, we're pretty much in the same boat. Many of us are not well. Something's going on and, and we cry out to God. And oftentimes we cry out to God, and then as soon as our needs are met, we tend to go back to the life we had. Our prayer life is is best when we're hurting, when we're needing, when we're like in a crisis. But if we don't learn anything during that crisis, we just go right back to the way it was before. You know, kind of like the coronavirus. You know, many people just go right back to the same same person, the same lifestyle, the same schedule. And Jesus knows of this of them as, as well he knows it about us. And he opens up the Beatitudes. And, and like I said, we're going to be here for two weeks. But, you know, he's dealing with the Pharisees. And Jesus was really comparing the perfect life with that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were setting out on the edges, listening to what he had to say. And some of the teachings were, were very hard for them to swallow. And it leaves you with a, a feeling of, well, I can't do that. There's no way I can live up to that. And Jesus comes to us and says, you know what, Alan? You're right. You can't do that. That's why you need me. And here we'll we'll go into a detail that that I haven't covered before, uh, these blessings. And and it says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is is a Greek word, markurios. It means joyful or happy or or full of well-being or complete. So the blessed life is a joyful life, a full life. This is so different than anything they had heard before. The kingdom of heaven is for those who are are poor in spirit and the crowd is thinking, that's great because that's exactly where we are. Now, who are the poor in spirit? Is he saying poor people? If you don't get enough money here on earth, uh, you'll get plenty of that in heaven. Is that what he's saying? No, I don't think he's talking about finances at all. 
He's talking about poor in spirit. It's a whole different thing. The word Jesus uses for poor, uh, you know, in the Greek is important. He could have used one or two different words for poor. And he uses the word. And the word is, is the key to understanding this. It's the word kokos. It means destitute or bankrupt or a beggar to be someone who has no resources whatsoever. He could have used the word paneus, which means lower class or poor people. But this isn't about finances. Blessed are the spiritual destitute. Blessed are the spiritual bankrupt that come looking for Jesus, who realize that they have no spiritual resources to draw from. Remember the the broader context here. He will compare the Pharisees to the righteous living. The Pharisees thought they had all the answers and were, were righteous. And here Christ says, apart from God, they are nothing. See, this message is for everyone. Apart from God, we are nothing. You don't have a spiritual muscle in you. And Jesus says, you are blessed when you, when you figure out you don't have any spiritual muscle in you. And this is one of the keys to, to getting the kingdom of heaven. There are those out there who feel really like they're spiritual people. And they come across, you know, you come across this every so often and, and you talk to them and you, 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 you think they, they get it. But Jesus is saying the, the person who thinks that they're rich and knowledgeable spiritually is a person that I can't really help. You've been there where you try to help somebody and you, you're sitting there going, there's no use. And Jesus is saying, I came for those who, who really think they need help. I came for those who, who really are not spiritual, those who need real help in their spiritual walk. I didn't come for those who sit on the, the hillside in their spiritual clothes, for those who know how to pray the big prayers that, that you're sitting there going, oh, I wish I could pray like that person. I didn't come for the person who thinks that they are spiritual. I came for those who are spiritually destitute, the ones who say, I'm flesh. I'm carnal. You don't know. I, you know, I try not to think bad thoughts, and, but I think them. I try not to say bad things, but I say them. I, I try to read my Bible, but then I fall asleep. I try to listen to Alan, but he just drones on and on. I try to pray, and I end up doing my shopping list. I don't know how, how you spiritual people do it. And Jesus says, you're the person I'm looking for. I'm looking for those who say, I don't have it inside of me because he has something to offer. He is saying, once you find out how poor you are in spirit, I can give you the kingdom of God. I can give you the kingdom of heaven. So we ask, how do I get to be poor in spirit? Well, it also means empty in spirit. Sometimes it takes us hanging out with Jesus to figure out that we don't measure up. We walk away feeling worse sometimes because he's perfect. We walk away feeling unworthy. I mean, take Isaiah for example. He writes an awesome book. The first five chapters is woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you. And then Isaiah 6, he goes into the throne room of God and he sees the presence of God. And the first thing he says is what? Woe unto me. Woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among unclean people. What, well, you know, what was the, the change in his heart? The change in his heart was that he got into the presence of God. 
You know, Gideon was, was the same way. The angel of the Lord, the, the manifestation of God, appeared to Gideon and, he, and, he, and said, this is what I want you to do. Now, Gideon's a, a sharp young man, so he listens. Lord, the Lord says, I'm going to use you. And what does he say? Well, finally, Lord, I've been waiting. No, he says, I'm the least of my tribe in Israel. Why would you want to use me? Why was Gideon poor in spirit? He figured out he was poor in spirit because he was hanging out with the Lord. Think about Moses. What happened to Moses? Moses was the prince of Egypt, trained in the courts of Pharaoh. He kills a man. He runs to the wilderness to hide. And the wilderness strips Moses down of everything he grew up with. After 40 years, the Lord speaks to him through a burning bush. Moses, I want you to go back now. I want you to rescue my people. I want you to deliver them from Pharaoh. And Moses stands there and says, I can't. You've got to get somebody else. What happened to Moses? Why is his presence of God? See, folks, you don't have to put on some false humility before God uh, or other, you know, uh, or other people. You know, you, you, we don't have to say, I prayed for humility and he gave it to me. All you have to do is spend time with the Lord and you will see that you are poor in spirit. That is the thing. We are all really poor in spirit. But only few of us really recognize that. And, and there is a, the kingdom of heaven. That's where it's at. What does the phrase kingdom of heaven mean? You'll see this phrase oftentimes in Matthew. You know, what is the kingdom of God? Well, if I'm poor in spirit and I get it, then what is the it? Well, I say look it up to yourself. Feed yourself on this one. We can talk about that later, but I want you to figure that out. So let's move on. You see how I did that? Now, now you got homework. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The, the word comforted is a word paraklesos. Same word used for the, for the Holy Spirit in many ways. Blessed are those who mourn, for the Holy Spirit will be by their side. They will experience things of God that, that you can't experience outside of grief. The world will tell you to avoid grief at all, at all costs. And Jesus will tell you, you need to walk through that valley of the shadow of, uh, of grief here. Grief comes in, in many forms. Loss of a loved one. And you, you can't understand the loss that, that God felt until we understand the loss of a loved one ourselves. We began to understand Jesus in. Jesus experienced grief at, at Lazarus' tomb. I didn't even think that it, it was really about Lazarus. It was about the separation from someone we love. Because death, that's what it does. It separates us. There's a hopelessness that comes with this. And, and, and that comes, you know, can manifest itself into an anger, you know, a spirit of resentment, a feeling like it'll, it'll never end. Jesus grieved. When he looked over out over Jerusalem, you know, everyone is chanting Hosanna and cheering and blessed is the name of the Lord and all this stuff. And what was Jesus doing? He was grieving for the people of Jerusalem. Jesus actually spent a lot of time crying. In fact, Isaiah said, look for a man of sorrows. But in America, we try to avoid grief when there are times when we should grieve. 
We have to go through that valley. You can't go around the valley. It doesn't work. It eventually, you know, comes out on you. And if you don't grieve, you, you kind of become this angry person. A well-meaning Christian will come and say, cheer up. And that's okay. Yeah, we need those friends that, 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 that will come to us every so often and try to cheer us up. But we still need to go through that valley. And then God can comfort us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, we can lose a lot of things, and it's not just death. And we should mourn. It doesn't mean that we think about it all the time or we go into a depression. But if we don't go through it, we will not experience God in many ways. Because God, who, who went through it, really for, for our sake, we won't fully understand Him. You know, David really grieved a lot. Look at Psalms 30. Psalms 30, he starts out and says, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. O Lord, my God, I called for, for your help and you healed me. O Lord, you, you, you brought me up from the, from the grave. You, you spared me from going down into the pit. Weeping may, may remain for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Verse 11, he goes on, he says, You turned my, my welling into dancing and removed my sackcloth and, and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. If you really want to experience the Holy Spirit ministry of comfort, then when it's time to grieve, let yourself grieve. Let it go, as the song says, you know. For some of us, that comes through, through crying. For some of us, it's deeper. And we need to stop avoiding that, that painfulness of it and let God take us through that. Verse 5, it says, it goes on, it said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In the Greek, the word meek is praos. It doesn't mean weak. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness is really a real strength. Meekness is, is strength under control. It is a very quiet expression. Many times you will not hear it. You will not even notice it because it's not about self at all. See, meek people don't care about credit and who gets it. A meek person accepts God's plan for their life without arguing and this learning to be meek is a lifetime process. There are times in our lives when we fight the Lord. I don't like this. Why am I going through this? I don't want this. I am uncomfortable with this, Lord. The more your prayers have an eye in them, the further away you are from being meek. Meek is Jesus saying, or, or, or us going to Jesus saying, Thy will be done. Meekness is strength under control. It's like a well-trained, powerful racehorse, under control, not wasting any of that energy at all. And, and, and then when it's time to go, he goes. Meekness comes from years and years of accepting God's plan. Now, it doesn't mean we don't pray for what we want, but when it all flushes out, you just go, praise God, for he is taking care of me. Eugene Peterson says it very well. He says, you were blessed when you were content with who you are. No more, no less. 
That is the moment when you find yourself proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. Do you know, do you know why the meek inherit the earth? Because you don't, have to, you don't have to own it to enjoy it. You can just go through life being happy. It doesn't matter what they own or what they don't earn because meekness is accepting what God has given you with gratitude and joy. You will start to notice this in the, in the Beatitudes, that these values that Jesus is talking about is really opposite of the world's values, opposite of the Pharisaic values, opposite of what everybody else does. The world will tell you, you've got to be wealthy to be happy, not you've got to be poor in spirit. The powerful are, are the blessed ones. The self-assertive are the ones that are, are rewarded. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. You know, Christianity is really the opposite of the world. Now, Muslims would say America is a Christian country, and that is what, you know, a Christian country looks like. They look at America, but, but we would say, no, no, no. America is not a Christian country because Christian, uh, Christianity is not a, a Coke, a Cola, or an MTV. Jesus is so different from that, from what they see on TV. The world says, you know, be happy at all costs. You have the right to pursue happiness. This is written into our Constitution that we're celebrating, uh, you know, this weekend. But it's okay not to be happy. Or, or, but, it, but it's okay not to <coughs> be happy and mourn. The kingdom of God and, and the kingdom of heaven is, is foreign to this world. We think differently. Therefore, the world looks at us like we're just weird. Have you ever gotten that? Now, I get that all the time. But have you ever gotten that? So get ready to look different. Get ready to be different than this world. Get ready to be in conflict with the world's way because it's okay to be different. It's okay to be out there living for God. Are you living for God or not? Because if you're not living for God, then who are you living for? It's a good question. You know, the Pharisees got everything lined up and, and Jesus comes against them and, and Paul comes against them. And, and Jesus is so different. He's saying, you don't have to live like them. You just need to seek me. And if you act like these, you know, act like the, <coughs> these things, you will be blessed. We all want to be blessed. Many people say, oh, to be blessed, you've got to have a bigger car, a bigger house, or a better car, a bigger house. You know, you've got to have everything because that shows that God is blessing you. And I'm like... No, it doesn't. God may bless you with great finances, but God may also teach you through losing things and not having great finances. He may teach you contentment. He may teach you meekness. He may teach you all the things that are about God because it's not about money. It's about no matter where we're at, no matter what position we're in, who do we praise? Who do we worship? Who do we lay at their feet and say, you are my God and I will worship you? I mourned, but then you brought me through that. And now I am just so joyful and I'm praising you in everything I do. You know, oftentimes we say we want to be like David. Here's a great way to be like David. Allow God to take you through things and then praise him no matter what that is when you get to the other side. May not be what we expected. 
but we praise Him. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank You so much for teaching us, for leading us down these paths of, of understanding of how different the world is, is from, from what the righteous people might say it is, or the so-called righteous people, Lord. I pray that You help guide us in, in our relationships with each other. You allow grace to be there. You allow mercy to be there. You allow meekness to be there. You, you allow us to be blessed by following you when we realize it's your kingdom we're seeking and not this world. I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that the Lord's face shall, will shine down upon you when you turn to his ways and against this world's ways. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You guys have a wonderful week.